Welcome to Living the Dream Outdoors, the official podcast of Living the Dream Outdoor Properties. We live by the motto, it's not just land, it's a lifestyle. And we live the outdoor lifestyle every day. Whether you're a landowner or dreaming of joining the ranks of those closest to the earth, we're your brothers and sisters of the outdoors. We hunt, we fish, we're stewards of the land. And our Living the Dream team will show you the way to enjoying the land and all the outdoor pursuits it has to offer. Here's your host, Bill Cooper. Welcome to Living the Dream Outdoor Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Cooper, and this week we're going to be talking fly fishing, fly fishing equipment, all things to do with fly fishing, and I'm proud to announce that i've got on the program with me this week jason edwards and he's the owner of woolly bugger fly company jason good to have you on the program well thanks it's great to be on the program i'm i'm excited to, to talk to your guests and you know kind of chat a little bit about uh fly fishing and uh, about my company and what we've got going on now, you betcha, man. It's always great to get to talk to another fly fisherman, you know. It's, uh, gosh, been a crazy fall and winter for me because I've been in the process of selling a home, buying a home, fixing both of them up and that sort of thing. And I just didn't get to get out and fish like I normally do. So I feel like I'm kind of behind the ball game right now. But you know what? When it comes to fishing, there's no more fun than playing catch up. <laughs> That's right. Right. I, you know, I'm not too far behind you. You know, I've been coaching my son's basketball game, so taking me a bit away from the river more than I'm used to. But, you know, um, you know, I love being a dad and, and, and getting on the river with my son when that, the opportunity presents, presents itself. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah, you have to do that because I, I can I, I can attest that time gets away from you in a hurry. And, uh, man, I took a lot of kids fishing in my lifetime. I ran 19 kids. Well, they wasn't all kids, some of them adults, through my home in 42 years. And so I taught a lot of people out of my own home how to fish, but worked a lot of youth programs as well. And there's just nothing more rewarding than being able to see a child catch their very first fish i've seen all kinds of responses i've seen them cry i've seen them run away <laughs> i've seen, <laughs> seen them jump up and down with joy so uh lots of responses you know from kids with that that first fish but you know what i still get a huge kick too out of watching old timers uh catch fish uh you know you see that glint in their eye they may have caught thousands of fish in their lifetime but there's just a joy that comes from it that you and I understand, but perhaps some of our listeners do not, and maybe we can educate them just a bit uh, while we're Hopefully. yeah while we're wading our way through this program. Well, Jason, I, I have to ask you. You know, I've never met you in person. I've followed you on Facebook. I've been on your website uh, this afternoon, and boy, a grand website makes my mouth water. You know, I'm I'm a sucker for flies, and uh, my wife tells me, you know, or she asked me. Uh, occasionally, should in ten thousand flies enough, you know. But uh, <laughs> you can ha never have too many flies. But uh, uh, Jason, how old are you? Well, I am uh, forty-two. So you know, uh, so I'm feeling every bit of it these days right now with a six-year-old <laughs> running around. <laughs> well, you're just a youngster. I got bad news for you. You know. Uh, 
you're in the prime of your life and probably about 45 uh you kind of start to go downhill you know you have to work hard to stay in shape and uh you find out you can't keep up with those 20 and 30 year old guys anymore it just gets uh, tougher as you go so you got to have a plan you know to try to make it as long as you can and, and keep uh keep fly fishing man uh hey we we know the joys and the benefits of uh, of fly fishing and i tell you at 73 it still works <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I fish with some uh, some, gen- some gentlemen, and your uh, your your uh, from your wisdom uh, or aged um, times, and let me tell you, they they know how to pull more fish out of the river than I do. So I, I'm looking <laughs> to, to stick around for for some more years and and enjoy my time on the river as well. So. Uh, oh, you betcha! And I tell you, when you've been around for seven decades, you know you hope you've learned something. <laughs> Uh, i can i can attest to the fact that i've I've been around a lot of just incredible fishermen and uh, i'm just not the detail person that a lot of them are you know and i've but i've had the great advantage being the outdoor communications business for 52 years and i rubbed elbows with just some fabulous fishermen you know and i i can't you know uh, claim to have learned a great deal about fly fishing all on my own although i did start out all on my own when i was 10 years old and didn't really have anybody to teach me anything i learned everything from outdoor life magazine i think and i was raised in the missouri boot hill and i was catching you know seven or eight pound largemouth on big poppers when i was 10 years old and uh that that was a pretty incredible thing to be going on in a young man's life. You know, I wish I had a place like that old bayou that I used to fish in. Wish wish I had a place like that now. But uh, forty two years old, but you've got a company of your own, and and from what I read, what I see, it looks like you love what you do. And uh, how long has Wooly Booger Fly Company been around? Well, we've been around since uh, two thousand and ten. Um, I'm not the original old owner. There was. A gentleman before me who kind of you know started it up um, it was kind of a hobby for him it was much smaller than what it is now it was just a couple dozen flies and uh, i always wanted to be in the outdoor you know business i grew up um in ohio is where i'm originally from and i grew up fishing off around lake Erie and oh. you know going for walleye and, and stripers and things of that nature and my my grandpa actually ran a bait shop on Lake Erie, and so when I moved to Missouri, I, I kind of got into to a little bit different uh, outdoor um, adventures, if you will. I started rock climbing when I was in my teens, and you know, backpacking, and kind of exploring in, in different different areas of of the outdoor world. And I kind of got pulled back to fly fishing um, in my early 20s. Uh, a best friend of mine, actually my, my climbing buddy, he had had a fly rod and he introduced me to it. <laughs> and so I, that's the first time I picked up a fly rod. And <laughs> first time I actually picked up the fly rod was in Colorado. And that's where I caught my first fish. And I, Not I, a bad I place to start. <laughs> it was. No, I really, I was hooked. So, and. So, but then, you know, to kind of get back to how I, I came across the Blue Burger, uh, you know, there's a, a fly fishing group in Missouri called Fly Fishers at the Crossing. You may have heard of it. Oh, oh yeah. Some, I'm yeah. actually, I'm actually a, a paid member, but I'm, I'm, I'm well, kind you of, are. yes, I am, but I'm kind of on outer reaches, you know, and, and I don't make it to most of their functions. 
but I, I do support what they believe in, you know. Great group. It is. It is a great group. We do a lot of great things, and, uh, you know, we do a lot of service projects around the around the state and around the St. Louis area specifically. But, you know, the, the gentleman that started it, he was, he was in the group, and he was looking to, you know, sell Willie Booger because he was trying to adopt a, uh, a young lady from Haiti. Oh. And he just time uh, anymore to, to, you know, do his regular job and, and run Willie Booger. And since I always wanted to be in the outdoor business, I thought it was a good opportunity for me to kind of try my, my hand at it. And so I did. And, and here we are, you know, <laughs> 10 years later. And, you know, it, it's grown quite a bit. And um, so there there's the, there's kind of the, uh, 10 cent story, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a little, worth a little more than 10 cents. It's always exciting to me, particularly, uh, when yeah. young people get involved in the outdoor industry and it, it flabbergasts me because they come up with some grand ideas and I'm always scratching my head and wondering, why didn't I think of that dec- decades ago? <laughs> you know, but, uh, hey, we've got to have young blood and young energy in the, uh, outdoor industry and uh, particularly in the fly fishing world but uh, jason I'm, I'm sure you've read and studied a lot of the fly fishing history and it's one of the things that just intrigues me and i have been uh i do have a master's degree in outdoor education and for the last several years i've been intrigued with fly fishing literature and i've actually been trying to figure out how to work on a doctorate degree in fly fishing literature oh, wow. there there are a couple of universities that taught it one in pennsylvania and one in washington state the pennsylvania university uh gave it up but it was interesting both both the doctorate degree coursework uh are taught through the religion department and oh really yes found that incredibly interesting and i bought close to 30 books been reading and studying and i don't know that i'll ever get this accomplished uh because in uh, washington state uh you have to be on campus to take all of that uh, coursework. Uh, I was hoping I could, you know, maybe wing it and, and get it all done uh, uh, online, but don't look like that's going to happen. But uh, still, you know, you always got to have a dream of something to, to work on. And uh, in my studies, it's been so interesting, the things that I've run across, you know. Uh, when I first started uh, studying, I, everybody talked about uh Madam Juliana Berners, you know, who was uh, a Catholic nun who taught fly fishing to the nuns in the Abbey of England back in the 15th century. And so, oh, wow. yeah, and supposedly she wrote the first known piece about fly fishing. But just recently, I <laughs> found out the Chinese, way ahead of uh, everybody else, like they were in so many aspects of uh, uh, development in the world. Some 3,500 years ago, the Chinese uh, were already fly fishing, and they were using bamboo fly rods like 20 centuries before the British started using them. You know, the English and the British, they, we kind of think of them as stuffy fly fishermen. I, I think that's still true today, but they like to take credit for a lot of, a lot of things, and I think uh, they may have kind of rewritten history, but uh, Chinese, not nah, they've been at it for a long, long time, and uh, all the folklore, all the history, all the literature, there's just an incredible m- amount 
of literature out there about fly fishing, and so much of it is connected to the spiritual world, which I find just super intriguing, you know. So I got a lot of digging to do yet, but uh, fly fishing, you know, near and dear to my heart, and I'm sure it is yours too, but... uh, Uh, Jason, I got to ask you, you know, back to the Woolly Booger Fly Company, uh, any idea why they, uh, you know, with a trillion flies out there, why did they choose Woolly Booger as uh, the title for the company? Well, you know, the gentleman, um, you know, his name was Brian Yost, so give credit to where credit is due. But, you know, they were looking for a catchy name, and uh, a fly was, you know, really popular, you know, that they could kind of market upon. And, so we all know that the woolly booger is very versatile in its use, right? You can use it, you know, to, to catch nearly any fish um, across any body of water. It's good in, in streams and lakes and in salt water. And so, you know, that's why they really chose it. And, uh, you know, I've really built upon that. I've, I've taken it and I've just, I've tried to just, you know, offer as a wide variety of woolly boogers as I can and really kind of become almost a streamer uh, fly shop. So, right. Look, really yeah, looking at your w- website, it looked like several dozen woolly boogers. And of course, I started out my fly fishing world with a big bass rod and using big poppers. But when I came to the Ozarks, uh, 40-something years ago and discovered smallmouth and uh, trout fishing. Uh-huh. Well, the woolly book yeah. was the first thing I went to. As you mentioned they were so versatile. And uh, I, I can use – I used rather small woolly boogers when I first began. And, uh, you know, the browns and the olives and yellows and greens, even white, they all worked wonders on these Ozark streams. And for several years, that's all I fished was woolly boogers. And finally, no, it, finally learned, you know, you could put a little weight on them, too, and get them down right on the bottom at times. And and even recently, uh, you know, I fished the Merrimack River a lot now. I'm only four minutes from from it, but I love to wade and fish. And, and uh, I started, I finally learned that you can use, you know, the really big patterns like the fours and the sixes and uh, bump those things along the bottom and still pick up a lot of trout and a lot of smallmouth yeah. bass. Great, great lure. Maybe one of the greatest of all times. It is. And I'm one of the few fly shops that offer the woolly booger in as large of sizes that I, that I do. And many of the most popular, you know, colors and patterns I offer in, in twos and fours. Uh-huh. And you can't normally get those in, in many, many fly shops, even online fly <laughs> shops. And then I offer them in what we call a baby booger. So they're really small. Uh-huh. They come in any it comes from a 14 down to a 20, and wow. a lot of people use those for panfish um, and smallies as well when they're just spawning. Yeah. I know I don't source fishing smallies when they're, they're, they're spawning, but it, it happens, so, um, you know. Well, those smallie water boogers, I can tell you, they work for big fish, too. I've, I've caught particularly largemouth bass up to four and five pounds on those small woolly patterns. I don't know what they really represent in in the fish world, but, uh, hey, they do look buggy, and fish do eat them. Jason, I tell you what, time flies, and you're having fun, man. We need to take just a short break here, but uh, folks, don't go away. We've got a lot to talk about yet, and I'm sure Jason Edwards and I are not going to get it all covered in this one podcast, but we do have some great information that we won't share with you yet, so don't go away. 
We'll be right back. Slow down and enjoy the simple things in life. Welcome to Hussall Valley Resort, providing family fun since 1979. They offer floating, and you can choose from canoes, rafts, kayaks, and inner tubes on a beautiful, crystal clear Hussall River. Lodging, let us be your home away from home. Choose from a variety of lodging units while still enjoying the great outdoors. With over two and a half miles of river camping on the crystal clear Hussall, we're sure you and your family will find the perfect spot to pitch your tent or park your RV. Have fun and let us help you get the most of your stay. Check out our guided trail rides and Karen's Cafe menu. There's something for everyone at Who's All. There's a campground store on site that has everything you need for your trip, whether you're in need of gear, grub, or something else. Chances are they've got it. And their campground has RV sites and primitive sites for all your camping needs. If you like the adventures of camping with a cozy bed at night, we have a variety of different lodging units to choose from. But who's all valley? There's always something going on out there. Check them out on Facebook, or if you want to make a reservation, simply call 1-800-367-4516. Captain Brian Wilson runs one of the tightest boat fishing operations in the business. Stainwater Boat Fishing operates out of Jerome, Missouri, and the beautiful Missouri Ozarks. They cover most Ozark streams and lakes. You haven't lived until you've searched Ozark waters during the night with Stainwater Bow Fishing while looking for giant gar, carp, and buffalo. Captain Wilson also runs a second boat on Tanicomo Lake. Call today to book a trip with Stainwater Bow Fishing at 573-263-8016. Again, that's 573-263-8016. Be sure and shoot straight. Welcome back to Living the Dream Outdoor Podcast. Jason Edwards and I have been talking fly fishing and one of our favorite topics. Real easy to talk about, isn't it, Jason? <laughs> it sure is, especially when you're, you're passionate about something. It's easy to talk about. Oh, it is. And, of course, uh, I guess you're a little bit obligated, you know, being in, in the uh, tackle business with, gosh, hundreds and hundreds of patterns that you sell i'm sitting here looking at my laptop now with your website up nice website man it's easy to follow and and you find Thank anything you. in the fly fishing world i think that you you need of course i'm a sucker for flies and i can sit and spend the whole day sometimes just looking through flies and you really do have a broad assortment but uh you brought this company a long way, Jason. Look like in ten years, and uh, you got some, I think, uh, new things that you're working on, and uh, you're starting uh, an apparel line. I guess tell us about that. I am starting an apparel line, so it, you know it was kind of born out of a sticker that I did a couple of years ago called Sergeant Smalley. Yeah, Sergeant- quite attractive. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That that kind of that that sticker kind of lived in my head for several years, and before I got it out onto. To, to, to real life so to speak and it just kind of really took off people really you know took to it and just were just buying it up and i go well you know if it's doing this well as a sticker why don't we go ahead and make this into a into a shirt so you know i made it into a shirt and i just you know i do have a really creative side of my 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 brain that i like to, <laughs> to equalize and drives my wife nuts sometimes but and so I really wanted to, to make another shirt. I wanted to do a whole series of, of military um, 
honoring the military, you know, pattern. And so the next one that came out was my 1776 um, Rainbow. And that one's done really well. That one came right out before Christmas this year. And that one's been selling really well as well. Um, And I have, I'm going to the Denver Fly Fishing Show, um, you know, in February. So we're going to be there. We're going to be kind of kicking off all of our apparel there. We have some hats and I'm going to be releasing three more shirts there. I have a really um, hot uh, El Care Caddis. I'll just ah. kind of leave it at that. It's, <laughs> I'll be kind of putting it out on Instagram and Facebook here in a few days to get some people, you know, jazzed up about it. But it's, it's kind of a play on putting together a real um, an elk and an elk hair caddis and what ah. that might look like. So um, I think that's going to be, I think that's going to be the real winner of, of my series so far in shirts. But yeah, I, I'm really excited about kind of making shirts and, and, you know, making something that makes somebody smile. Oh, absolutely. And I think you hit the nail on the head with a the patriotic theme. Uh, you know, do you have a military background? I don't, but I have family, you know, uh-huh. a lot of my family has served. And, you know, just, you know, I'm really appreciative of the people that, you know, make that sacrifice in their life that, you know, that, that find that, you know, desire to, to go and, and, to serve their country in that way. Absolutely. Of course, I'm a veteran myself, and I deeply appreciate the brothers and sisters who have made those uh, sacrifices. You know, they leave families, they leave everything they know and go to foreign lands and do uh, jobs that are not very much fun. But in right. And, of course, coming back from Vietnam, uh, we didn't get any any thanks. Uh, in fact, I got spit on several times. But glad to see that that's all all changed, and uh, we're behind our troops 100% any, anymore, and I'm very thankful yeah. for that. But, you know, like say, you uh, you haven't been in the military yourself, but your family and friends, whatever, they've been there. And, uh, hey, I think you've done a really great service yourself by coming up with this kind of uh, apparel because it's attractive uh, uh, to so many people, military or not. You know, hey, it kind of lets you get on the bandwagon, I think, both for fishing and uh, military, country, freedom, the whole nine yards. Well, thank you. I'm glad you enjoyed it. And I didn't know you served in Vietnam, but actually Sergeant Smalley, the smallmouth shirt, is actually um, in honor of the, the Vietnam um, era um, Marines because my, my uncle was a Marine, uh, Vietnam era Marine. So uh, that's, I think that the smallmouth is kind of, got that fighting spirit of that marine and that's kind of why i chose the smallmouth bass so yeah. they, they, hey no more you know. beautiful fish on the face of the earth than the smallmouth man i i was just so intrigued i was just catching largemouth down in the the boot hill missouri but uh, i first came to the ozark to superintendent of merrimack spring park in 1973 shortly after uh military duty and uh i very quickly living right there in the park uh, got accustomed uh-huh. to catching nice smallmouth bass in the Merrimack River, which I could walk to I quite often. Then I got off work about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. I'd head to where the Merrimack Spring Branch ran into the Merrimack River. And lots of yeah. af- afternoons back there in the early 70s, I'd catch 30, 40, 50 smallmouth or trout, depending uh-huh. on what I targeted, uh, in the afternoon after work. So I, I, 
I became very spoiled very quickly. <laughs> I bet. Where'd they go? <laughs> <laughs> They're still there. There's still lots of uh, smallmouth in the Merrimack and in uh, trout as well. And, of course, I fished primarily the upper Merrimack and still do. I fish way above uh, Merrimack Spring Park, and there's still some okay. pretty – healthy populations up there and of course this time of year uh, winter time <laughs> uh biologists tell me that uh merrimack smallmouths migrate from down river 60 70 maybe 80 miles headed up towards merrimack springs and it's surprising how many large smallmouth bass you see in merrimack spring branch i've seen them up to oh look like they weighed five or six pounds in a spring branch uh probably three Probably as big as I've caught out of that spring branch. But, yeah, and all you really good smallmouth fishermen know that those fish uh, will ball up in the deeper holes of the rivers during the wintertime. Makes them kind of vulnerable, you know. But, uh, hey, catch and release is a, a a great thing. And I had a discussion with Sam Potter. In fact, uh, uh, he was on uh, a previous podcast. He's a guide out of Rolla, Missouri. Uh, right gentleman a little older than me he's been guiding for a couple of decades and we had the discussion about you know hey 40 50 60 years ago you saw a lot of people with uh small mouth less than 10 inches sometimes on stringers but i can't remember last time i saw a small mouth bass on a stringer in the ozarks and that's a great thing because that fish is released and caught several times over and the joy of fishing you know is spread out among a lot of people but yeah still some great uh, smallmouth fishing on portions of the merrimack and uh, uh i just don't get to do it quite often enough you know <laughs> i don't get to as well i you know uh most of my my buddies they want to go um target some trout uh, which i i enjoy don't get me wrong it's, it's a pleasure to go after trout but you know sometimes that that smallmouth just got a whole different fight in it you know what i mean Oh, ab- absolutely. Ounce for ounce, I don't think there's any fish in freshwater that's any more powerful than a smallmouth, ex- with the exception of maybe a bluegill. I'm, I'm kind of thankful they don't weigh 10 pounds. <laughs> I got a, and that's how I'm really getting my son in, into it, is I've got a little pond. It's not, I'm not even sure I call it a pond, but, you know, it's an, just a subdivision pond, and sure. now everybody knows I'm not living out in the rural uh, area. Um, but, and I take him over there with our fly rods, and uh, and we go after bluegill. I never even got him started with a, a spin rod. Um, I just started him off straight with a fly rod. Hey, great way to so, go! I tell you, yeah, most people do. I think start uh, fishing in freshwater, fishing for bluegill. And I got I got to tell you, you know, I've fly fished all the way from Alaska to the Yucatan. In fact, I work part time in the Yucatan, have for the last fourteen years. Uh, oh wow. A lot of us out in the jungle uh, turkey hunting camps, but also spend some time over on the the coast uh, fly fishing for baby tarpon. And uh, oh yeah, I've heard that you are you are a big fan of baby tarpon. Oh, absolutely love them. Uh, you know, I can't imagine catching a two hundred pound tarpon. I think they'd uh, rip my arms off. You know, but five to thirty pound tarpon on a light fly rod is. Uh, as fun as it gets of course they're incredible jumpers powerful fish and and they win more often than i do you know which makes it even <laughs> more challenging well the one of the hardest things to get over when you start tarpon fishing is to get out of that 
trout hook set mode where you lift straight up to stick a uh, a trout. Oh, poor the poor poor tarpon guides in the Yucatan and everywhere else hate trout fishermen because of that. <laughs> they do because of that hook set. And man, it takes forever to get over it. Uh, I lost a few the first few tarpon I ever hooked simply because I came straight up and that hook turns and it sticks them in that bony roof of their mouth and yeah. uh, one jump and they're gone. You, gone, yeah. yeah, you have to sweep that fly rod sideways, turn that hook to hook them in the soft tissue in the corner of the mouth. And you're still going to be very fortunate if, if you get a, the fish landing because they just jump and jump and jump. And wow, it, it is totally incredible. Man. And that reminds me when I started, you know, fly fishing for trout. I, you know, I grew up on bass and, you know, walleye and right. things of that nature. And so I, you, you got a bite, you set that hook and you threw that, you drove that hook home. And I went to current, uh, not, I went to uh, Montauk, you know, and fishing. And I mean, I would drive that hook home every time for like, first four hours every fish i mean i that fish flew out of the water or that that fly flew out of the water i don't know which one it was first yeah so. well old, old habits are are hard to break but uh yeah you know uh some of these guides down at uh yucatan they can get down on you pretty hard you know when you keep making the same mistake over and over and over you know and I, I haven't got a whipping with a fly rod yet, but I, I've come pretty close a time or two, I think. <laughs> but, uh, man, what great fun. But getting back around to those bluegill, you know, I've caught salmon in Alaska, tarpon in the Yucatan. But if I could only do one type of fishing, I still love to go to a small farm pond with a belly boat, a set of kicker fins, when the bluegill are bedding and – just take some small poppers and work from one bed to another with like a, oh, yeah. you know, a two or three or four weight fly rod. And man, it's just incredible fun. Catch those hand sized bluegill and uh, they just pull like crazy, you know, particularly when they're swimming. They always swim perpendicular to your line, it seems like. And they just feel like they're a five pound fish when you've really caught a huge one if you catch a one pound bluegill anymore. I grew up catching bluegill pound, pound and a quarter. I uh, don't see many of those anymore, but they are still out there. But regardless what type of fly fishing you're doing, it's just such a different way to fish than many people are used to. And, you know, uh, fly fishermen are, are, are a bit prideful people because uh, they realize and they tell people all the time that it's the challenge, you know, I'm just making fishing more difficult. And, and that's absolutely true because – you and I could walk up to a, a farm pond and uh, you could fly fish and catch a lot of fish. But if I'm throwing, you know, a live bait like a minnow or, or whatever, I'm apt to catch a lot more fish with that bait than I am with a, with a fly rod. But that's part of the intrigue, part of the mystique, and everybody wants to project the idea that, boy, fly fishing is really tough to learn and all this stuff, you you know, equipment and flies and tippets and leaders and on and on and on when actuality it's no more difficult than any other type of fishing if you learn the steps and the processes in the right order and rubbing elbows with other fly fishermen such as uh, your group fly fishers at the crossing is a great way to start wouldn't you say 
I would. And, you know, if anybody's in the St. Louis area and they want to learn how to, how to uh, fly fish or just need some, some guys to go fly fishing with, cause they, they're the only ones they know that fly fish, you know, look us up and, you know, we'll get you partnered up with some guys and we take some great trips every year. We're always going out to Colorado, uh, to New Mexico, um, you know, and, and going fly fishing. There's always trips on the books. So, well, boy, that that that's a great, great uh, group, and like I say I I made it many to many of their events, but I did last year try over to Kirkwood or somewhere. They they had their first kind of fly fishing. Uh, I almost call it a yard sale, except it was inside. And man, was it ever fun! I met a lot of the guys, you know, and it had all kinds of equipment for sale. I got some great buys, man. I bought a lot of Good. stuff I didn't even need. I just passed it on to <laughs> new new fly fishermen and that sort of thing, you know. Hey, man, it, boy, I tell you, this segment has flown by as well. We need to take another break here, Jason. But again, folks, okay. please don't go away. We have one more segment, and we're not going to have near enough time to talk about all things we'd like to talk about. Uh, you know, fly fishermen just like to talk. We'll be right back. Bass fishing on the Lake of the Ozarks. Look no further than Big Ed's guide service right there on Lake of the Ozarks. Big Ed Franco has been fishing on Lake of the Ozarks most of his life and has been guiding for almost two decades. I've fished with Big Ed had a great time. He's a lot of fun and certainly knows where the bass live. You can call Big Ed to make a reservation at 573-692-6710 or go to BigEdsGuideService.com. And on the flip side of his business card is Bass and Baskets. That's a bed and breakfast that he and his wife, Deb, also run right on the banks of Lake of the Ozarks. You have a beautiful place to stay, great meals, beautiful outdoor decor, and you can walk right out the front door, get on Ed's bass boat, and head out to fish. You can call for the bed and breakfast at 573-692-6737 or look them up at BassandBaskets.com. Living the Dream Outdoor Properties, where it's not just land, it's a lifestyle. Daryl Hyman and crew out of Cuba, Missouri, dedicated to finding you the outdoor property that you've dreamed about all your life, or if you've got one you need to sell, they'll be happy to take care of that and hook you up with a great outdoor customer as well. These guys are famous for getting, listing, and selling some of the finest properties in the Midwest. So be sure and get a hold of Living the Dream Outdoor Properties. And you could find them at this, I love this, catchy phone number. 1-800-BUY-DIRT. Living the Dream Outdoor Properties. Welcome back to Living the Dream Outdoor Podcast. I've been having fun. I think Jason Edwards has been having fun. <laughs> I have, yeah. <laughs> it, it is fun to talk fly fishing anytime. I don't care what aspect you're, you're talking about because, uh, Jason, as you know, you're in the business. And, man, there's just a, a lot of competition out there, a lot of products. And it's amazing the old, old flies that I see that uh, been around forever, it seems like, and they still work. But there's always something new that, that comes up. And, uh, uh, your website, I've, I've 
watched it grow over the last few years, and it's pretty incredible the number of flies that you've got out there. But, Jason, being in the business like you are, and I'm, I'm sure you get a little bit of pressure put on you to participate in uh, conservation organizations. Uh, and you you mentioned, you, you know, fly fishers at the crossing. You guys are a group of like-minded people. Uh, there's a spiritual aspect to that group, which I think is pretty incredible. But uh, they also do some... Uh, do some fantastic conservation projects and just community service projects. Uh, are there any other uh, groups that you participate in besides that group? So, well, other than that group, uh, you know, I'm a, a member of uh, Missouri Smallmouth Alliance. Another great group. I don't really do much with them. Uh, my time is, is kind of, uh, you know, cornered by being a business owner and you know being a dad uh, being a dad's really important to me uh, you've probably heard me um, talk about that so far <laughs> but, you know i just feel it's important to to be really you know involved in in my son's life especially in these important you know times or age age that he's at but i'm in you know i'm a, I'm a member of the missouri smallmouth alliance and you know the fatty uh, sorry i'm getting tongue-tied the uh, Fly fishers at the crossing. We do have a uh, stream team that we that we are very active in. So we do have a, a stream that we take care of. And, you know, I I do get out and take care of uh, the stream occasionally. Um, and then uh, the Mayfly project is also near and dear to my heart. So that is something that uh, I'm active in as well. Okay, uh, the Mayfly project. I have heard about it, but don't know a whole lot about it. Can you tell us a little bit more about it? So the Mayfly Project is, you know, something that was started, I don't remember exactly how many years ago, um, but it was started in Arkansas by a couple that, you know, wanted to help, you know, children that were in the foster care program, um, give them some, you know, adults that would be there to kind of mentor them. Mm -hmm. And so the Mayfly Project takes children out and kind of gives them, you know, a safe space safe place, you know, on the river to kind of, you know, you know, fish and kind of experience the outdoors um, and have some adult mentors. There so. you go. That sounds like a great, great project. And there's lots of programs similar to that that are taking place these days. Lots of uh, programs for uh, veterans as well. And glad to yeah. see all of those particular programs. But you mentioned uh, Stream Teams. I had Sam Potter on last week. Sam's actually a member of Stream Team Number One. Was started, oh really? Yes, was started by the Ruby Doo Fly Fishers. Gosh, way yeah. back in been decades ago. But Mark Van Patten, I don't. Do you know Mark Van Patten by any chance? Yeah, okay. I do know Mark. Mark's a oh very good friend of mine. We we go way back uh, decades. Gosh, and Mark was actually uh, I guess maybe one of the original instigators of the stream team program and mark has an incredible story i wish someone would write a book about him and i actually nominated him a couple of years ago for inclusion in the national freshwater fishing hall of fame and i just got word about a month ago he made it so uh awesome. yeah we're gonna have a induction ceremony the headquarters is in wisconsin but i didn't want to go up there i didn't go up there for my induction and mark is going to be inducted at an event i don't remember exact day it's in may but going to be down at big rock candy mountain on the current river of course mark 
I retired down that part of the world, so that'll be close to home. Yeah, I just got to make up a big induction speech. I'm going to tell some wild stories about him, you know. <laughs> Incredible individual. Yeah, but I was telling, I yeah, I was telling Sam Potter about, uh, gosh, I know it's been close to 30 years ago, our Missouri Outdoor Communicators Group floating down the big Piney River. We did an annual event we called a floating bloat. We only floated three miles, but we'd stop on a huge gravel bar across from a spring and a bluff. Stay there all weekend, cook and tell stories and swim and fish. But about midnight one night, we were sitting around a campfire, and uh, I had just cooked a meal for six people. I sat on my little camp stool, had my little backpacking stove, and never got off of my stool. Had everything well organized. We had a grand little meal of steak fajitas, I think. But somebody had a nice scar that somebody else noticed. We got talking about scars, telling tall tales and how we got our scars, and Mark spoke up and said, well, I got a scar. I got bit by a shark one time. We're all hurrahing. You're nuts. You didn't get bit by a shark. He raises his pants leg, and sure enough, there's a very small U-shaped scar on his calf, and he really had been bitten by a shark. He said, it wasn't very big a shark, but it was a shark that bit me. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, that's the kind of thing you get into, you know. Yeah. But uh, fly fishermen are very conscious about the environment. You know, yeah. Trout, smallmouth, both. Uh, you can attest to this fact. They live in very beautiful places, usually uh, clean, clear, very uh very good quality of water and so fly fishermen can't help they cannot separate themselves from the environment that these fish live in so they tend to get involved in groups there's all kinds of trout unlimited chapters that people can can get involved in you mentioned the smallmouth alliance of missouri oh my gosh they have done wonders for smallmouth fishing in the state of missouri they push for new regulations and they keep signs posted all all the time at stream accesses and even up and down some streams so there's quite a core of people there that uh, work for the betterment of fishing and all we can do is applaud them you know and i oh gosh over the years i've participated in different organizations but uh being in an outdoor communication business man it, it's hard uh particularly for me to uh, get involved in all those organizations but i've written stories uh, about most all of them over the decades and of course i've been in radio television and now podcasts and i've covered a lot of those organizations but i'm sure you would agree as well uh jason uh people that hey are looking for something to do uh retired folks are always looking for something extra to do uh, these are great organizations to get involved in and I, i'm sure they're they're always looking for new members as well uh they are. because you know, you know how it is in any organization a, a few people seem to do most of the work <laughs> yeah yeah, that always happens. But you know, I was I was going through a you know a book you know the, during the fall, and it really it talks to you know your your second half of your life, and what are you going to do with the second half of your life? You know, are you going to sit on a uh, you going to sit on the couch and watch football? You know, um, is that going to fulfill you, or are you going to do something that fulfills you, or and fulfills others other individuals around you? And you know, there's all these groups out there that are are looking for something you know, or looking for somebody to, to help them. And, you know, you need to get out there and see what, 
you know, is a passion of yours and then get out there and do it um, with the time that you have, because, you know, you can really impact um, the world around you and, and other individuals that are around you by, by using your passion. And if you are somebody that loves the outdoors and loves individuals that are in the outdoors, then, then use that and get out there and, and do something with that talent of yours. Ab- so. ab- absolutely. And uh, I've seen so many old timers that, uh, you know, wow, they wind up, gosh, a lot of them retiring or, fifties early sixties and still have a lot of life left in them man and they've got a lot of experience and uh it's great for these guys to uh, share uh you know what they know what they've learned and it man some of them are just great communicators you know uh mark pardon there's only so much golf you can play oh i i think so and I don't, I don't know. We, you know, we talked about our children and educating children and, uh, taking yeah. them into the out of doors. Uh, they will remember those experiences far more than they will remember, you know, the video games they played or a TV program that they watched. Uh, because children want, they want time with their parents. They want time with their friends. But it's been very sad for me in my lifetime to see what has happened to children and their relationship to the out of doors. Uh, gosh, just since probably the seventies, a child in the suburbs, their play area has been reduced from, you know, several blocks it used to be that hey, uh, kids went home on their bicycles when the streetlights came on, you know, now parents are afraid almost even let their kids go out in their front or backyards. Uh, yeah, it, we are. Yeah. Oh. And, and it's such a shame. So that to me almost puts more pressure on parents to get their children into outdoor places with them, with family, mm-hmm. with friends and spend time in the great outdoors, so to speak, and get those experiences because there's just, there's just no other way to, to get them. You know, it's not like I grew up in a rural area and my goodness, uh, closest neighbor was half a mile away but as young boys you know pretty small 8 10 12 years old we can gang up and get on bicycles sometime ride 15 20 miles a day and uh, yeah i mean i mean i live in a small town in ohio and we we kind of we go outside when the sun was up and come home when the sun was down but you know for my my son to have that that now i i actually have a camper out near um, montauk it i don't know if you ever heard of pinecrest Yes, I have um, been there. Around. Yeah. yeah, we go out and we stay there and, you know, probably try and get out there three or four weekends as, as much as we can. And, you know, I think Grayson can just build fires and <laughs> shoot his BB gun and, you know, go in and, you know, you know, so, and it's a pretty safe place. You know, we don't have to worry about much there. And the owners there, Ethan and Marie, are just kind people. So if anybody needs a place to go camping, you know, I would recommend that place. Oh, absolutely. Great place. Not far from the current river. Hey, you can stay around the campfires. Of course, I've always been, uh, I I like to say kind of the wilderness type, you know, I've, gosh, I've floated thousands of miles on these Ozark streams, camped hundreds of times, man, love to be out there. And still to this day, I'd rather camp in a tent than in a big uh, travel home, you know, and, uh, oh, I've, Gosh, I owned a travel trailer one time for a couple of years. I think I used it three times in 
in uh, two years, so I sold it. I still have all kinds of tents. Uh, I have a little pop-up camper the wife and I use once in a while, but my preferred way of camping is under the stars on a gravel bar, and I actually wrote a column for many years called The Gravel Bar Gourmet. It was all about uh, just cooking on gravel bars. That's the way I still love to go, but uh, Jason, uh, even the old-timers laugh at me when a group of us get together and go. They get in their tents and cots and all that sort of thing, and uh, with all my arthritis, naked joints, and that sort of thing, it's hard for me to lay out flat. So I carry a <laughs> reclining camp chair, and that's what I sleep in. If I'm by myself, I might sleep in a tent, but usually I just throw a tarp over myself and kind of anchor it down with boat paddles and that's where I sleep. Just something to keep the moisture off of me. <laughs> you know, that, that, that's the military coming out in you right there. So. I guess. I, I guess I, I slept some horrible situations in the military, far worse than that. But uh, <laughs> uh, I, one of my fondest memories of camping was several years ago with Brandon Butler. He used to be our executive director of the Conservation Federation of Missouri, and he had a cabin down the Current River. But a bunch of us decided we'd go camping and floating and his cabin was in a place called Happy Hollow, and the mayor of Happy Hollow always bragged that he had a constituency of, of about three people up the hollow, you know. But uh, he was a real old hillbilly guy, and uh, I'll say I got stuck in a canoe with him, and he hated canoes. He said he just, he oh, he hated canoes. He always liked to float in an old John boat. So uh, we were the cook uh cook canoe we had all the gear and we were loaded pretty heavy and uh we shoved off in the current and uh, kind of a rough current and a lot of rocks coming up very shortly and he swore up and down he was not going to paddle that canoe so i assumed i was going to have to do all the paddling for the whole trip but just to check him out i shoved off into the current didn't pick my paddle up either i thought he's either going to pick a paddle up or we're going to crash and burn very early in this trip <laughs> And that old man saw that we were going to get in trouble with that loaded canoe. He picked up a paddle, straightened that canoe up all by himself, right down the chute we went, and never bumped a rock, you know. I thought, eh, yeah, he'll be all right. But I thought I was tough. It come camping type. We had guys that put up little tents. We had a guy that hung a hammock out over the water on a fallen tree, so he slept a couple feet above the water that night. Uh, I broke out my reclining camp chair and a mayor of happy holla went over and laid down on the gravel face up and i said man are you, are you gonna sleep all night just on that gravel he said no i'm gonna sleep on the air spaces between the rocks there he laid all night <laughs> <laughs> what a man you know but jason man so many things that can be enjoyed and tied to fly fishing in the missouri ozarks and uh man uh it's been great to get to talk to you for the first time i hope this won't be the last time you'll be on the podcast but jason yeah, with but woolly bugger fly company can you tell us how people can get a hold to you how they can get your products well, you can uh, you can get to me real easy with my website. That's www.woollybuggerflyco, uh, and that uh, might be a little hard to spell sometimes because uh, it's w-o-o-l-y-b-u-g-g-e-r-f-l-y-c-o.com. That's a mouthful for some of us. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
And uh, we'd be happy to have you come check us out and uh, grab some flies and maybe a T-shirt or two. So, um, and you can uh, find us on Instagram in the same way. It's, uh, it's at Wooly Bugger. And uh, same place on Facebook at uh, Wooly Bugger Fly Co. So, um, we'd be happy to take care of you and all your fly fishing needs. Well, it looks like you can do it. Well, folks, uh, Jason Edwards and I have enjoyed bringing this information to you, and I guarantee that the both of us are living our outdoor dreams. We encourage you to get in the outdoors and enjoy your outdoor dreams as well. I'm Bill Cooper. Hey, guys, this is Frank Cox with Living the Dream Outdoor Properties. Hey, have you ever considered a career in real estate? If you have, but you don't have your license, this is your opportunity. So each month, the Living the Dream Outdoor Properties team is giving away a free seat to the online training that you need to take in order to get your real estate license. We would love to have you join our team. All you got to do is go to our website, livingthedreamland.com, and then click on the Our Team button, and then click on the one that comes up under that that says Join Our Team. On that page, there's an application form. Just simply fill that out and get in contact with a member of our team, and I'll be giving you a call. We appreciate you, and uh, good luck. The Live in the Dream Outdoors podcast is brought to you by Live in the Dream Outdoor Properties, The Fly Rod Journals, SmokerBuilder.com, Cowtown USA, Westover Farms, Scenic Rivers Taxidermy, Stained Water Bow Fishing, Scenic Rivers Guide Service and Tours, Huzzah Valley Resort, Pico Lures, Devil's Backbone Outfitters, The Fallen Outdoors, Ledco Sinkers and Lure Company, Turnbow Outdoors, J&J Charters, Kaufman Cove, Alaska, Big Ed's Guide Service, Bean Creek Game Calls, Misty Mountain Guide Service, ASO Guides and Outfitters with Ryan Walker, On the Hook TV, and Rich's Famous Burgers. Land ownership is the American dream. Land is the basis of all life. Our wise use of this most precious of resources ensures the survival and growth of free institutions and our American way of life. At Living the Dream Outdoor Properties, we value the traditions and freedoms that land provides us. Every day we seek the solace of a mountain sunrise over traffic jams and smog, the calming silence of a bubbling stream over the sirens of the city, and the quiet of the countryside over the hustle and bustle of the world. We hunt, we fish, we farm. We live off the land. It's our mission to help our clients live out their dreams on the land as we do. At Living the Dream Outdoor Properties, we believe that it's not just land, it's a lifestyle. Join us five days a week on Living the Dream Outdoor Podcast as the Living the Dream Outdoor Dream Team explores the most desired outdoor properties in the Midwest and whisks you away to incredible hunting, fishing, and outdoor recreation opportunities. Host Bill Cooper, an inductee of the National Freshwater Fishing Hall of Fame, will be joined by members of the Living the Dream Outdoors team each week as they tell tall tales, unveil tips and tactics, and rub elbows with some of the biggest names in the outdoor world. You'll also find the Living the Dream Outdoors podcast on your favorite social media platforms, including Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok.